Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. My wife and I fell pregnant, so just to let you know, that's what we do. That's what we do here at Life Changes. If you're going to put sex on Sundays on your billboard, we want to follow through. But anyway, just thought I'd say that. It's a real privilege to preach this evening. Amen, amen, amen. But uh, I wanted to cast uh, my mind back about four or five years ago to the 22nd of February, 2014. It was uh, my wedding day. The, one of the greatest days of my life as I uh, got to marry a girl way out of my league. Fiona and I, we got we tied the knot on that amazing day at Longridge Wine Estate. The weather was perfect. We could see Table Mountain from the, from the venue. Uh, Fiona walked down the aisle to Gangza Ballet song, Don't Let Me Go. I caught a glimpse of her as she came down. The, the song was just emotional enough that I started to ugly cry. And, uh, and it was wonderful. It was beautiful, a special moment. And the day was one that will long, li- live long in my memory forever. Maybe one week we can just watch the video of my wedding. No? No? No one's keen for that? Come over to my place. We'll show you. But, um, but the incredible thing, the story that doesn't get told is, is what happened the next day. And, uh, and the next morning, uh, we, it's PG-13, remember? <laughs> no, don't worry. <laughs> the next morning as we were about to embark on our honeymoon, what happens is, is the tradition of weddings often is the groomsman will trash the, the, the groom's car. And my, my, my friends, my friends, I put in quotation mark, did a great job of doing that. So much so that the next morning, our honeymoon had to be put on pause as we had to go to the nearest um, garage and car wash to have our car cleaned and made suitable enough for us to even drive it anywhere. And so the first day of our honeymoon was uh, my wife and I sitting at a car wash for a good couple of hours. They cleaned our car. The only seating was a bench between two rubbish bins. And uh, the faint smell as we ate uh, knickknacks together as breakfast and a, and, a, and a Coke together, as we had the smell of rubbish going across our nostrils and, 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 and mixing with the fumes of petrol, I remember turning to her and saying, is this what you pictured marriage to be like? And, and I say that in jest, but I, I think that we've sometimes been so duped by Hollywood and Disney that they've sold us this recipe of relationships, that, that boy meets girl, eyes meet across the bar, they fall head, uh, head first in love, head over fe- something like that, head over heels in love, head first, whatever you want to see. They're so in love, they can't even get their words out. And uh, they fall in love, and there's a spark, there's a chemistry, the, the mood is just right, and one thing leads to another, and they head back to his place, they have earth-shattering sex to Barry White, it's just incredible, the clothes are everywhere, it's just passionate and amazing. Then they, they become a couple, and then there's a big challenge that happens. They have to overcome it. They, they draw apart for a while. And we're all nervous and we're leaning into romantic comedy going, will they, won't they, will they, won't they? And again, eventually they overcome this big challenge and they have this incredible wedding day, which is dramatic and wonderful. And into the sunset, they go happily ever after as the credits come down. And we're going, I want that. I want that. That, that incredible journey, love journey. The question I want to say this evening is what happens though if the happily ever after becomes an unmitigated disaster? What happens actually when the life you're living now, what happens, what do you do when your dreams aren't coming true? Because I want to suggest this evening that maybe you're single here and you just are wishing that friendship would ignite. You're longing for that person just to, to the, the friendship that's been there for many years. Like, why won't they notice me in a different way? Or maybe you're single and you, you're actually just getting frustrated waiting for Mr. or Miss Wright. Maybe you're married and the passion you once had is now starting to wane and you just don't know when it'll come back again. Or maybe you're here and you're divorced 
and you just wish you could have it all over again to, to redo, to go over again, or, or even better, maybe you're saying, just I wish I could get rid of that ex completely and as if he never or she never existed. I want to suggest to you this evening that too many of us fall short of the destiny that God has for us because we've settled for the dream that the world has sold us that we're unable to walk into the future God has for us. So this evening, I want to say that I believe that between the dream and the destiny, there are often some detours that we have to learn how to navigate if we're not going to be derailed. In a more biblical sense, I believe between the promise that God gives and the hope of a future, there's the between the promise and the promised land that we get to walk into, there are often some challenges and processes that we have to work through so that we don't plateau. So this evening, I'm going to take us through very briefly 13 chapters of the Bible. Everyone, cancel your dinner plans. We're going to be here long. 13 chapters from Genesis chapter 37 to Genesis chapter 50. And those 13 chapters represent 13 years of, of, of the Israel nation's history. And I want to take you through it this evening if you're comfortable with that. And it all starts in Genesis chapter 37 with a young man named Joe, Joseph, for those who are more acquainted with his full name. And this young man in Genesis chapter 37 is born to his father Jacob and his mother Rachel to a family. He's the 11th out of 12 children. And it's a, it's a, it's a mixed up family because there are, there are, there are 12 children. Not many of them have the same mother. It's just a crazy, the young and the restless has nothing on the Bible. I tell you, it's just chaos in the romantic relationships of Jacob and his wives and, and his wives' concubines. It's just chaos. And, but Joseph finds his story, his narrative beginning in Genesis 37, the 11th of 12, and he has a dream. It's a dream of his 12 bro- of his 11 brothers uh, bowing down to him. And in his, his immaturity and his youth, the Bible describes tells us he was about 17 years old. He goes and he tells his brothers, I had a dream, guys. And already he's at a deficit because his father has marked him as his favorite. The father has said, Jacob says, Joe is my favorite. He has so lavished his favoritism on him that he's actually put a cloak on him to mark him as his, as his favorite. So the brothers, I'm the third of three brothers. If our parents started to do that, it would not go well for me. But this young guy, in, in his naivety, he comes, he tells him, with already in them, a little bit of their noses being out of shape. He says, guys, I had a dream. The dream is that you are going to bow down to me. So that's how the story begins. You flick a few pages to the last chapter of Genesis, Genesis 50. The story ends with the dream coming true. With Joseph no longer in the area, the, the area that he was living at the beginning, he has moved through a whole lot of events to the area, the, the land of Egypt, and he is now the second in command under Pharaoh over all of Egypt. And his brothers, because of the famine that was in the land of Israel, have come to Egypt to beg for provision. And the story, the twist is that actually they don't recognize Joseph and they end up bowing down to their brother and the dream comes true. But in so much more, not just an immature, youthful arrogance do they bow down to Joseph. And that was it. Actually, God has so much more in store for him. More than just a dream, a destiny, so that Joseph, through him, would be able to rescue and redeem the people of Israel and feed them. You see, God takes the people on a journey from the dream to so much more in the destiny. But actually, the amazing thing is, in between all of the dream and the destiny, those 13 chapters hold a whole lot of drama. And I believe that actually this evening I want to give us three potential detours that we need to learn to navigate if we're going to make the dream become more and more into the destiny that God has for us. Everyone okay for that? Cool. First this evening is number one. The first detour that we have to understand in every single relationship that we'll walk is the detour of disappointment. You see, Joseph, the story, back to chapter 37, begins with him saying, I have this dream, you're going to bow down to me. And their response is not a slow clap of applause. And Joseph, you're the man, we can't wait to bow down to you. No, it doesn't go that way. 
So much so that actually Joseph, these brothers, they plot and conspire against Joseph. They say, actually, we're done with this guy, and we're done with dad and his favoritism. We, we can't stand it any longer. Actually, so they lead him out into the wilderness. They, they get Joseph, and for time's sake, they put him into a pit. They drop him a pit, and they, they plan, they, they parade around the Jewish dad and say, Dad, actually, Joseph was killed by a wild animal. There's blood on his, on his cloak to prove it. And they say, Dad, he's gone. And as Jacob goes into a deep depression, and they leave Joseph there for dead. One of his brothers comes in and, and is actually a bit concerned about this. They say, guys, we can't just leave him there. We actually got to get him out of the pit and sell him off into slavery. But before we get into that, we realize that actually this young guy, as he sits in the pit, I can imagine Joseph going, the people I pinned my dreams on, those who I went in confidence and shared my dreams to, my brothers, those who surely would know me and love me the best, they themselves have literally, not just metaphorically, but they have literally let me down. Literally, they had put him in a pit, but they had let him down. You see, here's my thought this evening, is that when you have expectation on any relationship, you're opening up that relationship to frustration. How do I know that? It's the people who you love the most will hurt you the worst. And that's not a, not a, not a bad thing. I'm not saying, now let's expect nothing of people. No, it's, it's a natural thing. But I think we have to be aware of that if we're going to make any progress in life. And actually, it echoes out of the first page of the Bible, the very first relationship, Adam and Eve, chapter, page two of my Bible. Adam and Eve, they, the first thing that happens in this relationship as they, as they endeavor on the future that God's got for them, the perfect conditions, the dream in, in God's heart for what he's got ahead for them. But sin enters the story, and the very first thing that comes between man and woman is blame, hiding, and the silent treatment. Adam and Eve start blaming one another. She did it. She made me do it. And, and, and Eve says, no, no, he made me do it. And, and it's this incredible chaos that already erupts, and relational tension erupts from the first page as they retreat from God's presence, they retreat from one another, they're hiding, they're naked, and they're ashamed. And from the very first page of the Bible as we start going on this journey, we realize that, that there's frustration in the story. There's frustration and chaos and disappointment in the story. And actually, this is not something new or that we are naive to. If I bring it right down to my relationship with Fiona, I got married to this incredible girl. Now I had these high expectations of her. And she's like marrying a guy who works at a church. Expectations are high. I mean, and look at me. Come on, they're high. Who's laughing? Why are you guys laughing? Come on, guys. Come on. But this incredible girl and this amazing story with this future ahead of us, little did we know that actually very quickly we'd realize we're very different. And that I am a, quite a verbose guy. I like to talk a lot. I like to over-communicate about every little detail in our life. I want to thrash it out now, and which is not a bad thing. But sometimes that, that with that mixed with my, my wiring and my feisty personality can sometimes spill over to a bit of an angry response. I'll, I'll shoot off the hip first away. So if I get frustrated in our relationship, if I get let down or disappointed by Fiona, I'm quick with a sarcastic remark. The problem is Fiona is also not wired that way. She is wired in the sense that whenever she gets disappointed or frustrated, the walls go up. Poof. Silent treatment. And I don't even know what I've done half the time. Fiona, what have I done? You start looking, with, have I put away my clothes? No, just it's, it's nerve-wracking moments, but we start to realize that actually that that is not how we're supposed to go because you know what? The enemy wants to sabotage our future by getting us to settle in disappointment or frustration. Let me tell you, disappointment and frustration is inevitable. But whether you settle in it is up to you. Let me say it this way. The Bible, as I read this, and this might be really, really deep for you, I believe a great call of God out of this text is this. 
don't sit in the pit. Don't sit in the pit. You see, disappointment and frustration aren't disqualifiers. They're rather an opportunity for us to walk in the gospel. You see, what I mean by that, that actually Fiona, uh, we realized that we were differently wired, and yet that actually if we were not allowing, we were not allowing the excuse of that's just who I am to take over in our relationship. We actually started to make decisions according to the gospel, not because of our years together or saying actually we'll work this out as we go, but actually the Bible is clear on, the, on some relational issues in this way. We had to decide that we were refusing to let our frustration fester. By scriptures that became so deep and dear to us, things like saying, don't let the sun go down on your anger. We would not go down, not, go, not sleep at night if we have unresolved issues and unresolved tensions. We became quick to apologize, quick to extend forgiveness, quick to believe the best. You know what? I, I used to say these things. You know, I'm just cynical by nature. Maybe you're somebody who loves to say, I'm just cynical by nature. Well, you might be in your sinful state, but you are now saved and you've given a new nature. And the new nature of God is someone who believes the best. God believes the best when he looks at us. He doesn't look at us with eyes of cynicism. He looks with eyes of faith towards us. And actually, that's what I mean when we start bringing that lens of the gospel to our relationships. It disqualifies us using the excuse, that's just who I am. Because God says, I want to take you on a journey. Let's get really real this evening. My mom, uh, when she got married in her early 20s. She got married to a man who, who is not my dad. And she got married with dreams ahead of her, hope in her heart, excitement, the happily ever after, reaching far ahead of her. But the five years of her marriage was plagued with very early into marriage that they got a diagnosis of his life that he had cancer. And for the next five years, with all these dreams and, and plans ahead of them, this cancer started to ravage his body that actually their, their lives had to be revolved around hospital beds and, and hospital visits. So much so that after five years, sadly, my mom's husband, uh, first husband passed away. In the same time span, six months prior to that, her brother was murdered in England. Six months after her husband's death, her father died of the same disease her husband died from. Now, hearing this story as a young woman in her 20s, I remember speaking and hearing from her. And she said, you know, to be honest, she said, it felt like God had disappointed me. Felt like actually God had let me go and rejected me in these moments. But you know what? The incredible thing, my, my mom had to go on a journey, and it might sound blasphemous at first, but stay with me. She said, I had to learn how to forgive God. Now, it's, now why I say blasphemous, because I, I really believe that God can never remain in your debt. He's never somebody who's going to be doing, doing you wrong. He is faithful and good, and He is kind. But I think so many of us, we are holding, too often we're holding the only one who can lift us out of our pit at arm's length away. Because we actually haven't allowed God into that pain because we, for some reason, think he was the orchestrator of it. Let me tell you, maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, God, I've been faithful. In my marriage, I was faithful. I was faithful to the vows I made before you, but he cheated. She cheated. Why, God? Why? And it feels like you're in a pit of disappointment. Or maybe you said, you're saying that, God, you said that I'd meet someone by now. And, and I've been there. I've been faithful. I've been, I've been pure. I've been pursuing you, Jesus. And yet no one seems to come. I'm still single. I'm still in the same boat. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you said that man or the woman would protect me, but they abused me. And you're feeling a little bit disappointed. You're feeling let down and you're feeling frustrated. I want to tell you today that God is faithful and kind. And today, he is inviting you out of that pit of despair. He's out of, inviting you out of that pit of, of, of frustration 
And he's saying, actually, I have a hope and a future for you. Will you trust me? We have to learn how to navigate the detour of disappointment if we're going to walk into the destiny God has for us. Second one this evening is the detour of distraction. The story carries on. As uh, uh, chapter 39 dawns of Joseph being rescued out of the pit, not by his brothers, not by some helpful friend, but actually some slave traders. Joseph is literally sold by his brothers into the slave trade. He's human trafficked into slavery. And Joseph goes on this journey, and it leads him over the border into Egypt, the, the, the enemy's camp, the foreign land. And he finds himself sold at a high price to a man named Potiphar, who's very close in ranking and officialdom to the pharaoh of Egypt. And Potiphar is there, and Joseph finds himself there working for a man who is ungodly, a man who's very different to him and the ways he's brought up. And I can imagine Joseph going, this is very far from the dream that I had. I'm actually in a foreign nation now, away from my family. God, what's going on in this story? And, and the incredible thing I love about this story is that the Bible tells us that Joseph, in chapter 3, I says this, it, it makes this line that Joseph was handsome and tall. So just think of me if you need to picture Joseph. He says handsome and tall. Why I love that the Bible tells us that is because actually the name Potiphar, if you go understand it in the Egyptian language, Potiphar means fat bull. I just love that. In my head, I'm picturing Danny DeVito, just for some reason. Just, you know, just a bit sweaty, a bit feisty, always a little bit angry, and a bit, he's just on his business. And you've got these two gentlemen who's so polar opposite, fat bull and tall and handsome. Why this is important is there's a third character in Potiphar's house named Potiphar's wife. And the Bible, I can, it paints a picture of a sultry temptress, this really beautiful woman. And she comes, she's got fat bull and tall and handsome. And her eyes fall on tall and handsome, and she starts to weave her, her, her sultry magic over him, shaking her hips, you know, as, as one does, and uh, giving him the eye. Sorry, it's been a long day. <laughs> Stick with me. Stick with me. <laughs> Let's get back to <laughs> the <laughs> Trying to focus there. It's quite hard. But this incredible lady, this, this lady who's quite, uh, who's quite brazen, she starts to slowly erode her, temptu- her temptuous ways over J- Joseph. And actually it becomes quite out there and in his face when actually the text tells us she comes up to him and says, hey, sleep with me. This, this woman's not beating around the bush. She's putting it out there, I'm in and I'm keen. I'm ready to go if you are, tall and handsome. And, and, and Joseph at first, it says that Joseph tried to avoid her. You're trying to be in different rooms. So now he's painting a picture of a woman who's literally, she's hounding him. She's like hounding. Whenever Potiphar goes away, she wants to be near, tall, and handsome. And Joseph, this incredible thing, we see this incredible response to temptation where he actually says to her, he confronts her when she says, sleep with me. He says to her this, he says, amazing, if you go read it at home, he says, the reasons why I'm not going to do that, he says, my master trusts me. So he understood authority. He says, actually, and he gave me everything except you. So he understands the sanctity of marriage. And he says, I would never do this great sin before my great God. So you understand, this man's got great theology. This, this Joseph, it, it leans us into a way that we have to understand something first, though, is that we need to know that and be aware that the enemy roams around like a roaring lion, seeking, seeking whom he may devour. That's the book of 1 Peter tells us. The enemy is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I've underlined that in my Bible. Not seeking who he can make a little bit of more uncomfortable or frustrated with life or irritated. No, John 10 tells us clearly the enemy comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. Sometimes distraction 
the, how the, the detour of distraction will, will look innocent. It will be dressed up and it's just harmless fun. But there's an enemy behind this that's wanting to destroy you. I want to tell you, this detour, when picked up, will always lead to death. So the question is, how did Joseph respond so radically to this temptation? And that he could have actually possibly justified. I can imagine him possibly going, you know what, my dream is not coming true any quickly, any quicker. But you know what, maybe if I do sleep with her, she can give me, put a word in with Potiphar, and actually she can become my ally on the inside, and actually I can maybe get a promotion. Logically, he could have maybe justified it. But Joseph refused to do that so much so that actually the, the story tells us that Joseph's response was that one day when she had had enough of these games, she came and said, sleep with me. And he actually did something that was so remarkable. He ran out of there. He stopped with the discourse. He stopped with the discussion. And he just sprinted out there and did something that actually every man and woman under temptation should do in the sexual area. The Bible tells us the only way we deal with sexual temptation is flee. It doesn't say entertain, it doesn't say keep it close by, and then just, you know, no, it says flee from it. And Joseph did this, but why did Joseph do it? I, I want to suggest that actually, I believe as we read that text of Joseph's response and his ability to run under pressure, was that actually he was a man of conviction. Now, what I mean by that is that actually I believe conviction is the decision made ahead of time. You see, too many of us are living in response to our situations. We're living in response to our feelings, response to our, 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 our egos, response to our appetites, when actually we are people who are made of, to be people of conviction. Let me bring this into reality here. Fiona and I started to date. We dated for nine months, and it was an incredibly beautiful, God-honoring, pure relationship, and it was, it was never any stress about our purity. Then we got engaged. And it was almost like for those three months, as we knew that in three months' time we were getting married, it was almost, it, was, it, felt like, it felt like she was part of his wife. I'm just saying. I'm tall and handsome in this scenario. But I just was like, I, I, you know what? So I almost started to justify saying, you know, we're getting married anyway. And we started to push boundaries and, and getting close. I thank God. The only reason we made it to our wedding day with purity intact was because of the grace of God, because of Fiona's strength to, to bat me away a lot of the time. And thirdly, actually, because we had, we've been people of conviction. I'll tell you, it was tested, that conviction was shaken, but I promise you, it stood us in great stead that actually we were people who before time, before there was pressure, before it felt like actually we could actually push the limits, God has said in our hearts that actually we're going to keep this thing pure till our marriage day. I want to encourage you, make decisions in faith now. Don't wait till the pressure hits. Because you know what? The reason why is that feelings are an appetite that demand resolve now. An appetite that needs to be controlled. Feelings will betray you. They will sell you an immediate release, but for the price of your future. Feelings will always sell you an immediate release. You can have it now, but it always comes with a cost. You know what? Maybe you've said things like this. I've done it times. You know, I deserve this. It's harmless fun. Everybody does it. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Phrases that are saturated with our feelings at the center, not conviction. And you know what? The incredible thing is, uh, why did Joseph run? I believe actually he was a man who also knew his family history. Jacob was his father, and his father's brother was named Esau. Now Esau was the firstborn in the family, and Esau, just a few chapters before our story with Joseph begins, if you flick back later tonight, you'll find this incredible narrative that Esau was the firstborn of his family, the son of Ab- uh, the, the, the grandson of Abram, the son of Isaac, was Esau, the firstborn, who was going to inherit all the promises. Because of the firstborn, he was going to get all the inheritance that the father had. It was the rite of passage. Everything of Isaac's belonged to Esau. 
The family name, the family credit card, the family inheritance was Esau's. But along comes Jacob, the second born, who knew about Esau's uncontrolled appetite. And Jacob, the second born, who was going to get nothing, came to Esau and said, Esau, I want your first, I want your birthright. I want your inheritance. Give it to me. And Esau said, why would I give it up? What what are you going to go for in, in trade for it? So Jacob, knowing his appetite, said, actually, I've made you a lentil stew, which might not sound good to many of you, but believe me, vegans are loving this these days. A lentil stew. He said, I know you are hungry. I've made you a lentil stew. I'll give this to you, but you have to give me your birthright first. And Esau's on record in the scripture. He says this. He says, what good is my birthright when I'm so hungry right now I could die? And, and maybe you shake your head in this moment and go, oh, I tell you, we do that all the time. What good is my future when I'm so desperate right now, when, I, when my feelings are leading me this way now? This is the incredible thing, is that the amazing, if you flick all the way to the book of Matthew, and in every Jewish household to this day, they refer to, they say, we are a people who belong to the, we are a people of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and it should have been Esau. But to this day, Esau's name has been erased from this story, and every Jewish person says the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because one man's decision cost him his future. Why this is huge is I really believe tonight with, co- with courage in my heart that the call of God is at complete odds, complete odds to our comfort, our convenience, and our compromise. The call of God is so high on our lives that God has got calls on your life to a great future. I tell you, I know that God has got incredible plans. This is what the scriptures tell me for your lives. But this, so does the enemy to derail you to distort you, to pull you in a way of distractions. So I want to encourage you today that the way we deal with distractions is by prizing the call of God. Too many of us are despising our futures because we are deal- we're giving into our appetites now. Allow God to convince you of the future He has for you because when the whisper of lust comes, when the lure of the private message comes, when the seduction of the secretive glance comes, the call of God will be the thing that sustains you. It's the same Jacob, Joseph in this story. The incredible thing, thirdly and finally this evening, was where it led him. As he sprinted out the house, she ripped off his coat and he left it behind. He said, I'm not even going back for that. He sprinted out and she started, she, her pride was hit, so she shouts out, rape, he raped me. And Potiphar, fat bull, comes home and he believes uh, Potiphar's wife, Potiphar's wife, that's her name, Potiphar's wife. He says, good evening, Potiphar's wife. Um, and he believes her and he has Joseph, tall and handsome, thrown into prison over these false allegations. Now, I can imagine our mate Joe sitting in a prison in Egypt, so far away from the dream come. He's at the lowest of the lowest rung. And I can imagine thinking, you know what, a pit I could have got hauled out of. Temptation I could have run away from. But this prison, I'm stuck in. Now, as I read this this week, I really felt that actually there's a lot of people, as we're preaching this series, who are imprisoned by their past. They're imprisoned by their addiction. They're imprisoned by their failed relationship. They're imprisoned by the weight of their sin. I've got great news for you and I today. Great news. That the gospel doesn't just have the power to forgive us. The gospel also has the power to set us free. Now the problem is I believe that too many Christians, they settle in only forgiveness. They don't understand the freedom that that forgiveness opens up for them. Here's the reality. John Piper said it this way. He says, great theology can conquer biology. 
Another way, I want to put it, great theology can conquer our history. What I mean, great theology, knowing God, experientially knowing Jesus, encountering Jesus can conquer your flesh. It can con- conquer the brokenness of where you've been. Great theology of knowing and seeing and savoring Jesus can destroy the bondage of the enemy. Scripture tells it plainly this way. Colossians 2 will be on the screen. Let me read it for you quickly. This is the better text. It says this, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Often I used to read up to that point, but verse 15 continues, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Let me bring this down to you this evening. That scripture tells us that we were made alive by Jesus. As Christ follows, you are dead, but he's made you alive. Not only that, he has forgiven you. Not only has he forgiven you, he has canceled your record of debt, never to bring it up again. According to the scriptures, he's actually nailed it to the cross so that it can never resurrect itself and come in, in judgment against you. But not only that, he has actually taken the weapons, disarmed the enemy against you. The accuser has no weapons in his hands anymore against you. And not only has he disarmed him, he has triumphed over them by the cross. This is the power of the gospel. And actually, the gospel is so strong that actually, I believe God is saying, a clarion call saying, will you be a people who believe this? And if we are, then we have to deal with our trailers. What do we mean by our trailers? The things that we've carried behind us for way too long. The trailers that we've packed full and we've, maybe we've gone to some, we've been in church a while and we've gone to some counseling, we've had some prayer, but all we've actually done is rearranged our baggage rearranged our trailers. I want to say this way, you're, maybe you're not satisfied with where you are because you've been carrying baggage from where you've been. I feel God saying we need to deal with the trailers of our past sexual mistakes, our hidden addictions, of our exes, our regrets, our pain. You see, because so often I've felt that we've been trying to make progress into the call of God that has got for us, the destiny, but we feel like we keep getting a hold back. It feels like we're pulling a trailer up a steep, steep hill. And that's not the Christian walk that Jesus has got for you and I, because there was actually only one man who carried a trailer up a hill. His name was Jesus Christ, and he carried the full weight of our sin. There was not one sin that was left outside of it. He packed it to the brim and he carried it up to Golgotha and he died a death and he said, it is finished. And that trailer was unhooked from mankind forever. What I love about Joseph is that Joseph was a man who understood this. So much so, if you read, he named his children in Egypt, he named his two first children Manasseh and Ephraim. Why is that huge? Well, because Manasseh means the Lord has helped me forget. Ephraim means the Lord has made me fruitful. I love that. He knew a God who didn't only forgive and a God who erased the past and took all the brokenness of the pits of Potiphar's house in the prison. He also knew a God who was actually saying, I'm not going to just leave you in that way. I'm going to take you into a greater destiny than you ever dreamt. This is the God that we serve. And actually, all of this comes, culminates in actually the real power of all of us is that there's a phrase nestled in every single stanza of that story. Nestled in the story of the pit, there's a phrase. Then the nestled in the story of Potiphar's house, there's a phrase. Nestled, nestled in the story of the prison, there's a phrase. That phrase is this. Three times it appears in every single circumstance Joseph went through. It says this, and the Lord was with Joseph. Now I want to tell you, this shouldn't freak you out to realize that God's eyes are upon you. 
Because he doesn't see you through eyes of disapproval or disappointment. His presence is not a sign of condemnation. It's actually a sign of his invitation. No matter how deep the pit is, the Lord was with Joseph. No matter how strong the temptation was, the Lord was with Joseph. No matter how dark the prison was, the Lord was with Joseph. This is the power for you and I, because actually our ability to not sit in the pit, our ability to actually prize the call of God above temptation and distractions, the ability to be fruitful was the fact that Lord, the Lord was with him. Why is this so powerful? The other night I said at a youth event in this hall that actually my greatest gift is not to stand here and tell you you're awesome. Because in truth, you're not. Because if I told you you're awesome and pumped you up, you have to leave and then you have to do something terrible. You have to be awesome. And that will cripple you. Because we don't have the strength. The greatest thing I can do is tell you, He is awesome. He is perfection. He is the one who says, demands his allegiance. He's the one who says, turn your eyes and trust me. Don't trust your ability to make it. Trust that the Lord is with you. Invite him into those moments. Invite him into the brokenness. Invite him into that journey. Because I believe as we bring this into land, that the greatest news is that God has bigger dreams for you than you could ever make up for yourself. Joseph's dream immaturely begins with brothers bowing down. It ends with a nation being redeemed and fed. That dream never meant met up to the destiny that God had in store. But actually he said, for that to happen, I've got to take you on a journey, Joseph, of overcoming pits, of overcoming Potiphar's house, of overcoming prisons, of overcoming disappointments, of overcoming distractions, of overcoming dead ends, so you can walk into destiny. Let me say it this way. The 16th of March was a date that was, for many years, uh, one of trauma for my family. The 16th of March was the year that my, was the date that my mom's dad died. In that story I told earlier, the 16th of March was the exact same date that a year prior that, that my mom's brother was murdered, on the 16th of March. And on the 16th of March in 1997 was the date exactly that my, mom's, uh, my dad's mom died. So every year as the 16th of March came around, it, was, it felt like there was a, we just wished we could skip from 15th to the 17th. Every year we just said that day just held too much horror and pain and fear and brokenness for my family. Until the year 2017, when God's incredible wisdom and provision, my daughter Olivia Grace was born on the 15th of March, not on the 17th of March, but on the 16th of March. And the incredible thing is when we, when we found out this was going to be the date, part of the reason we named her, her name, we named her Olivia Grace, Olivia meaning peace, and Grace meaning grace. Because actually that is the first line in most of the epistles that is, is headlined in the epistles saying, Paul writes to everybody, no matter where they're going, the Corinthians in debauchery, the Galatians in legalism, no matter who he's writing, the, the people who are in fear for their lives, they're right, grace and peace to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as that day has, as she was born, that day has been redeemed for my family. Not a day no longer of trauma or fear or brokenness or pain, but actually a day of celebration, knowing that God gave a great gift on that day. Why I tell that story is I believe that there is nothing too far that God cannot redeem. There's nothing too far that God cannot pour His grace and peace over. You say, Gabe, you don't know what's in my trailer. I'll tell you, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Don't sit in the pit. The Lord is with you. Don't get distracted when the feelings start to rage. Make convictions beforehand. 
And when you feel that you've in a dead end and you feel, where else can I go? My brokenness is too big. The Lord is with you. You're not too far gone, but you have to respond. The final thing I want to say this evening is why I love the story of Joseph. Is that Joseph is not a story. I'm not leaving you saying, encouraging you today, be like Joseph. I'm not, because Joseph actually is a picture of a greater human, a greater man, a greater person named Jesus Christ. The parallels between Joseph and Jesus are remarkable. Let me tell you about them. Joseph, Jesus, just like Joseph, was dearly loved by his father. Jesus, just like Joseph, was a shepherd of his father's sheep. Jesus, just like Joseph, was hated by his brothers. Jesus, just like Joseph, was stripped of his clothing, sold for the price of a slave, and taken to Egypt to be tempted. Jesus, just like Joseph, was falsely accused, bound in chains, and condemned with criminals. Jesus, just like Joseph, was suffered, but then was highly exalted. Jesus, just like Joseph, began his ministry and his work and his public service at 30 years old. Jesus, like, just like Joseph, wept for his brothers, forgave those who had wronged him, and ultimately saved them from certain death. And what's, what's even more? Genesis chapter 50, the story of Joseph lands with Joseph declaring over his brothers, he says, what the enemy planned for destruction, God has worked for good. Jesus has done that ultimately even more. He looks at your life and he says, what the enemy planned for destruction, maybe your happily ever after, has turned into the most broken disaster. Maybe you say, I don't know what to do because my dreams just haven't come true. The Lord is with you. And he says, I can redeem what the enemy has stolen, if you trust me. Let's pray in this moment. If you're comfortable, could you stand to your feet? I love to pray over us. I believe that there's the Spirit of God, as we sang earlier, is working in every heart here. He's calling people out of a pit of disappointment in relationship, a pit of frustration. He's calling people to be people of conviction calling people to make decisions. Actually, I'm not going to be swayed any longer. I'm going to make convictions, decisions ahead of time. He's calling people who feel that my, my trailers are so full, I don't even know where to begin. I believe God's working here. If, you, if you're comfortable as well, could you raise your hands to Jesus? I believe God is here with us. He's wanting to say, I'm not only forgiving you, I'm wanting to set you free. I thank you, Father God, over every single person in this room, no matter whether they're single, married, divorced. I thank you, Father God, right now. Would you come and invade their hearts? You're setting people free from the pit of frustration and disappointment. I thank you, Father God, that you, there's even maybe people here who are just like my mom saying, I need to forgive God, as, as tough that sounds or, or weird that sounds, I need to say, God, I need you. I'm not going to hold you at arm's length anymore in this situation. I'm not going to hold you on trial. I thank you, Father God. People are making decisions as their hands are lifted. Your spirit is strengthening hearts, strengthening hearts, God, that have been almost been whipped around by the enemy and have been given over to their, their lust, given over to their, their flesh. I thank you tonight. It's a night of conviction, saying no longer am I an instrument in the enemy's hands. I belong to him. I thank you, Father God, there's people tonight who are unhooking their trailers. Say, I'm not even going to start going through the, 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 the stories. I'm just going to unhook it and say, Jesus, I trust you. I thank you, Father God, that you are pouring your grace and your peace into every heart. 
your grace and your peace, Jesus Christ, and you're declaring, no matter what stories before us, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. I thank you for this. Let this settle like a, like a, a weight upon us. Not a weight that disqualifies us, but a weight that secures us in your goodness. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.